welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Adrian Nichol. And today on the show, we're talking about what can you do if you don't have quite enough equity, specifically around some details with the bank of mum and dad. And we're going to get very specific once we get into this. Now, the idea for this show has come from a listener of the show who's texted in with quite an inventive way of getting the deposit. This person already has three properties and let's call him Barry for instance. So Barry's got three properties and he wants to get one more but they're tapped out on equity. Now, his inventive way is this. His parents and grandparents have got some mortgage-free properties which they're wanting to leverage and they're all okay with this. But the issue with this is that the parents and grandparents don't have the income in order to be able to service a mortgage. Right, So they're not able to take out some of this equity because the banks will be like, well, you can't service the new loan that you're taking out. Now, no matter, Barry in this instance is saying, well, what if I used a reverse mortgage and had the grandees gift us that money? Now, you'll recall probably a couple of months ago, we recorded an episode about reverse mortgages with how it worked and we're a bit worried about them. And so this made me raise my eyebrows and just think, okay, this is this is quite an inventive way of getting the money for a deposit. Andrew, what are you thinking around this? And just so you know, he's suggesting that it'd be 120K mortgage at 6.2%, which is reasonably lower than some of the interest rates we were talking about previously, which might be 7 to 8% on a typical reverse mortgage at a floating rate. So the first question I had for Ed was, well, actually, can you repay a reverse mortgage? Because they're not designed to be repaid. And we did a quick Google search, and it looks like you probably can on the basis that it's a floating loan at that time. And presumably, when you go into the bank and you get a reverse mortgage, you decide if it's fixed or floating. But then, you know, in some ways, I guess people are less inclined to maybe be as rate conscious because they're not paying it back. They're going to pay it back when the house is sold. And so whilst they might still think, oh, well, we don't want to erode all of our equity, they might be more inclined to take a higher rate and just kind of let it run its course if they're not relying on that money. I think we've established that you can. And I think if you are going through a bank, that would actually be part of the the criteria around it. But if it's going to be a floating rate, the current rates for Heartland are kind of 7 to 8% that floating rate. So that's quite a bit more than the 6.2% that we're talking about here. And, you know, even a 0.8 of a percent or a 1.5% can have a significant difference on the cash flow of the properties, which we'll get into. Yeah. But in theory, this kind of works. But I would be wanting to find other ways of doing it if it were me because the interest rate is pretty extreme. Now with the responsible lending code in New Zealand has come a lot more questions around guarantees and so the reason for this is because in Australia when they had their, what was it, the Royal Bank, the Royal Inquisition into Banking, they looked at this and banks were lending kids money and they weren't actually probably able to get the loan on their own, not just often, but not just because of LVR, but sometimes because of servicing. And then you'd do what's called a borrower of convenience, it's called now. So you just chuck mum and dad on it. And then you get into the house and you default. And then mum and dad's house would be up for grabs. And actually, there were some instances where the bank had been so irresponsible that mum and dad now were going to lose their house and they had them overturned. So no, you don't actually owe the money because, or they had to reverse penalty interest because you should never have given the loan in the first place. Now, because our banks are mostly owned by Australia, that all flowed down to New Zealand. And in New Zealand, we're pretty conservative, really. That's why the GFC, with all of these you know, 110% loans that you could get over in America, 
we didn't get so widely affected because we didn't have all these mortgagey sales to the same extent that America did. But in New Zealand, borrow of convenience, you can't really do nowadays. However, I think you need to put together a good business case and go back to the bank. I would say that rather than mum and dad doing this loan themselves, you put this in a joint loan. So you actually go to the bank with mum and dad and you have an application on all four of your names. So you, your wife and mum and dad. And you're fully responsible for that. Now it is still going to be a bit of a challenge. I would talk to a mortgage broker about this. But if you can establish that, hey, this money is going to be used to buy a rental property, maybe then they'll consider it. Or use a non-bank lender. Go to a non-bank lender and you might pay three or four percent but maybe not 6.2 percent because again these are long-term loans that are going to be paid from the sale of the house and they're probably not set up to actually have repayments so they might only allow you to kind of make lump payments but your interest will be capitalizing so that could also be another kind of administration issue with a model like this. So while I think your theory is great, Barry, I do think that maybe there might be a different way of tackling it. Now, I want to go through what the numbers look like because that higher interest rate on the deposit, the 6.2% that Barry's given us, is quite a bit higher than what you'd otherwise be paying, which might be 2.55%. So let's say you've got this deposit loan. It's 120k. It's at 6.2%. Now that's $7,440 worth of interest costs every year, which is $143 a week. Now that's a lot, but what you really want to know is, well, I'm going to be paying interest on a deposit anyway if I'm leveraging it against somebody's house. So what's the extra difference or what's the extra amount that I am paying because I'm using a reverse mortgage in this way? And it's a 3.65% difference. So that's $84 a week. So if you were to go through this and use a reverse mortgage, it's really affecting your cash flow, even though it's only affecting 20% of the total purchase rate price because it's got such a higher interest rate. Just on that, Ed, you are assuming regular payments on this though. So if it does capitalise the interest and you make a once a year lump sum payment, that will be actually higher, right? That would be correct in that case, assuming you're not making regular repayments against that. Now, what I wanted to say, though, is that if you've got a property that might be making $60 a week currently based on 100% borrowing at 2.55%, that's going to make a property negatively geared. And of course, the real risk here is that if interest rates increase by 1%, then it's going to become even more heavily negatively geared. And it would be quite a risk from a cash flow perspective. The other thing I want to talk about is also, let's say that you're investing in a property that's currently under construction, and you pull out a 10% deposit using the reverse mortgage in order to be able to pay for that. In that case, it's going to be $60,000. Again, because that 60k is at 6.2% rather than 2.55%, it's going to be much more costly during that build phase than if you were using some of the other tactics around using a second tier lender or going on the loan with mum and dad in that case. Now just one thought as we're discussing this as well. So in inverted commas it says gift us the money. Now if you then have a gifting certificate for that money you may well find that that 120000 at 6.2% is not tax deductible because you've received a gift, mum and dad have taken out a loan, but their loan purpose is a gift. And them giving you the money 
means that it is no longer tax deductible. Now, you could draw up a loan agreement with mum and dad at 6.2%, and therefore you might be able to actually get away with that, but it's just something to be aware of. And then, of course, mum and dad are receiving 6.2%, so they're receiving an income. So technically, they have to file a tax return as well to say, I receive 6.2% in interest, and then balance it out with the money that they pay. Now, I want to get into the details of how you actually set these sorts of agreements up with mum and dad. But just before we do this, I want to say, Barry, this is really inventive and I like the thinking behind this. Perhaps there are some things you might want to investigate before going down this path, some other alternatives perhaps you haven't considered. Now, we've also had Anne Mould message into the show and said, look, can you explain a few ways to borrow from the bank mum and dad, especially around how the equity gets paid back or the loss of a written guarantee if they sign some sort of a gift deed? So typically the way this would work if you're setting it up with mum and dad is you would get them to sign a gift certificate with your mortgage broker. This is if it's an owner-occupied place. Andrew, I'll get you to speak about investment properties in that instance. And then what you'd do is you'd set this up, generally speaking, as a separate loan with a separate bank account. And then you would come to some agreement about how to pay off that principal. Now, if it's... Actually, I am just going to stop you there. If it is going to be a gift, do a gifting certificate. If it is going to be a loan, be very careful saying it's a gift. Now, I know that there are lots of listeners out there that may have borrowed their first home by using the bank of mum and dad and then claimed it to be a gift. That is pretty common. However, you just have to be quite aware because one of the people that I worked with, they had a gift from mum and dad, which was a loan. And then three years later, when they had enough equity in the house to repay it, the bank said, you don't have to repay it. That's a gift. We're not giving you the money and they had to refinance. So how'd that work in that case? So the way it happened was they went to buy their own house. This was just some friends of mine. They got a gift from the bank of mum and dad. You can't actually see me doing the inverted commas here like Dr. Evil. And they went to their bank, which was BNZ, and said, hey, we've got a gift of 100 grand from mum and dad. And then three years later, they went to the bank and said, hey, good news, we've got heaps of equity in our house. We'd like to get a loan to pay back that loan from mum and dad. And they said, well, hang on a minute. You've got a gifting certificate here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were lying and they refused to give them any more money. So how did they refinance to get the money back to the parents? Well, they refinanced to Westpac, say. I can't remember which bank. Oh, so they changed banks to yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Paid Who didn't it. know that they had a gifting certificate. Well, BNZ, that was their own fault because they know how these things well, work. Yeah. yeah, I understand what you mean. So Andrew, in an investment scenario, how would you typically set this up if somebody like Ann Moll's purchasing with their parents or taking some money using the bank of mum and dad there? Well, in that case, no different to having split bank. So you'd have all your rent go into your normal rental account, you'd have all your bills go out of that, and one of those bills would be the loan that you've got elsewhere. And you'd set up an automatic payment to go to the servicing account at the other bank, in this case mum and dad's bank, and it would pay back mum and dad's loan. And they'd take that out as a separate loan, but how do you manage the thing you talked about before with the parents receiving an income now because they've taken that loan out? So the way that I manage that, if I'm working with an investor, is quite simply, I want the kids to be on the loan because if the kids can't get the loan they shouldn't be getting the 80% loan or the 90% loan anyway because the banks want to know that this works so if you are using bank of mum and dad for an investment property let's say you can borrow 10% from your bank you can borrow 80% against the new rental but you're 10% short then bank of mum and dad you go and get a loan a four-way loan for the 10% 
you're going to set up an automatic payment from there. Then you get your 90% loan from your bank, 10% guaranteed against your house and 80% against the new property. Perfect. So I go along to the bank with my mum to her bank and we say, look, we want to purchase an investment property or I do. Can we take out 30 grand, say, against her property? And I'm on that loan as well so that I'm calculated in terms of the servicing as well and then we're not having those tax implications. Absolutely. And I actually think that's the most straightforward way to do it and is probably the best way of doing it because it protects mum and dad as well. If you get into default on the mortgage, the bank's going to chase you rather than mum and dad having to chase you. Fantastic. And look, the last thing that I just want to talk about is that I saw an article in the paper for a lady called Nikki Connors who he was talking about how she had purchased two properties back in the day, this is years ago, they were two apartments, both at 10% and the bank of mum and dad had linked her the deposits for both of these apartments. Now, full disclosure, Nikki Connors runs a company called Propeller Properties, which is one of our competitors at Opus. Now, in this article, which had been posted to one of the Facebook groups for the Property Investors Chat Group, once this article was posted in, she was getting pretty slated. There were some people saying, oh, I wish that I'd been given 10% or I wish I'd been given my deposit. And I'd say, look, I totally understand that there are many people who work very, very, very hard in order to be able to invest in property, renovate, or make sacrifices in order to be able to put themselves in a better financial position. But I'd just say as well, there's no shame in using the bank of mum and dad. There's no shame in doing this. If this is the right journey for you, I think it's really admirable that you're doing something. And we really need to say it's really important to take action, even if it means doing some of these things and taking choices that other people might not necessarily do. So I think there's no shame in that. And I just want to say that. Now let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to learn more about this bank of mum and dad stuff, how to help people get into the housing market, help your friends or your family get in, or how to receive help and set this up properly, we are running a webinar for this next Tuesday, the 17th of November. I'm going to drop a link to this in the show notes so you can register or just go to opuspartners.co.nz slash webinar. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.